With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seahawks have made their second selection of day two of the NFL Draft. And this time, they they don't stick with their original 64 pick. They trade back into number 69. They they trade with Carolina. They they get the fifth pick in the third round. They also picked up pick number 148 in the fourth round. So that helps uh, kind of give them another pick after trading that late round third pick. And here to talk about the third pick of the 2020 NFL Draft is EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron. The Seahawks, they move back and they take Damian Lewis, guard out of LSU, ends up being the the first guard taken off the board as far as how the NFL ranks the guys that we had Cesar Ruiz go early on for an interior offensive line. But uh, not a lot of interior guys taken to this point. And the Seahawks, they, they have their pick of the bunch and go with Damian Lewis out of LSU. Yeah, we're starting to get to that sweet spot where, uh, and we talked about this on the podcast we did as a pre-draft podcast when we were going over Rob Stanton's list, that really when you start to get into the middle of the third and and well in through the middle of the fourth is the sweet spot for guards. And there's a bunch of players here that are similarly ranked. And you can talk about a lot of them. And many of them are very similar and it's going to be the flavor that any particular franchise prefers for their interior offensive linemen. But we talked about guys like Tyler Biotish from Wisconsin, Shane Lemieux from Oregon, Jonah Jackson from Ohio state, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. Uh, Damian Lewis is certainly in that group. And so is John Simpson from Clemson. And it's a, it's a big sort of uh, pool of talent. There's not a ton of differentiation. There is some style and some physical differentiation between the two. Um, I don't have any issue with the pick of Lewis. I think he's a solid guard experienced in the sec at a high level of competition shows pretty good power, very good in the double team movement skills are pretty good. My only issue with the pick is you had Lloyd Cushenberry, his teammate to the left, the center sitting there and Lloyd Cushenberry, whether or not you start him at center or guard is a clearly more talented player than Lewis. And the easy way to tell that is we saw them both at the senior bowl and together they were both late ads to the senior bowl. They came in the second day and they just crushed everybody in the double team drills. But then as they do at the senior bowl, they separated into one-on-one reps versus defensive linemen. And that's where the difference came in together. They looked unstoppable when you got into one-on-one reps, Lloyd Cushenberry was one of the few guys that could anchor solo with power against any defensive tackle there, Javon Kinlaw included. His ability to reset center and just anchor without losing any vertical space is uh, rare. There's not another way to put it. He is ridiculously talented. He's got some some very rare traits. Lewis, on the other hand, had reps he won. Had reps he lost, didn't look near as strong without his partner in crime right next to him. So if you're saying one's Batman and one's Robin, Cushenberry is definitely Batman and Lewis is definitely Robin. And you don't see that until they separate. And on film, you see the same thing. They are incredibly good and incredibly well-skilled and drilled. 
at creating double teams and busting open lanes for guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who saw go to the Chiefs. That's why is that interior of the offensive line for LSU super good in combo. But when you really split them out on their own, Cushenberry clearly the better player of the two. And again, not that much different than what they did with linebacker earlier in the draft. They say, this is our guy. And really they picked the Robin could have been Patrick queen as the Batman when they picked linebacker could have been Lloyd Cushenberry as the Batman when they picked interior offensive line. But John Schneider, as we said before, he doesn't care. He, (laughs) he, for whatever reason, believes that Lewis is the guy that they want and they went and got him. Now, is it a bad pick? No, it's not a bad pick. It's just interesting in context of who is still on the board. I think that is something that we've seen even going back to Rashad Penny when they took him first off the board back in 2017, taking the first running back. It, the one thing I, I kind of like about it just as a Seahawks fan is that I, I don't have to guess if a player came off the board ahead of him, if that's the guy they were really targeting. When when a guy like Lewis comes off the board first and there's other guards, I know that that was their guy and, and they're getting their guy at that position. So I, I know you kind of laugh at that, but I mean, I, I guess maybe then that's the positive outlook in me. Uh, maybe I'm picking up uh, the vibe on Pete Carroll a little bit. But, uh, you know, with Lewis and I will say, too, um, just watching the Seahawks, they definitely have a preference for guys who can be road graders in the run game. And it almost sounds like what I'm hearing for you is is. Cushenberry may be the better guy in the passing game and and maybe he is in the running game, too. But um, they definitely have that preference uh, for a guard who can who can really drive uh, the, the defensive lineman back. And with Lewis being 330 pounds, the, the size and everything, it really matches up to what I've seen from the Seahawks and where they go with their offensive linemen. Yeah, he's a very solid offensive lineman. Again, nothing against Damian Lewis. He has held up in the SEC, which is the preeminent conference in college football far and away. It's it's not even really a question and can move people off the ball is not bad in pass protection. I think Cushenberry is a better player in both phases, but his ability to anchor against the pass is truly rare, really special. You just don't see guys like him very often. So it's hard to overlook that value. But again, Seahawks are as much as anyone in the NFL and probably more so than anyone in the NFL type driven in their draft picks. You see it in their corners. You see it in their defensive ends. You even see it in linemen, um, sometimes in wide receivers, but there's a little bit more variance there. In certain positions, Seahawks go down the line for physical traits. And Lewis lines up nicely with those characteristics, obviously, because they had their choice of sort of the pick of the litter from this third, fourth round bunch. And Lewis was their choice. Yeah, the interesting one to me that the comparison and and may have been on people's boards a little bit higher with John Simpson being on the board still. And as far as the measurables match up uh, back when Tom Cable was on the team, he came out. There was this the Seahawks town hall and he laid out exactly the the types of of measurements that the Seahawks look for. One of them was a nine foot broad jump. Uh, One was uh, around a 28 inch plus vertical and also bench reps, uh, you know, in the upper 20s. And, you know, Damian Lewis has the nine foot broad. He has a 30 inch vertical and he has 27 bench reps. And, you know, I'm looking for Cushenberry, but he didn't test. And and so I don't have that to, to measure up against it. But then I look at John Simpson. He has a little bit longer arms, 34 and an eighth compared to Damian Lewis at 33. Uh, but then, you know, hits the broad, hits the vertical and then had monster 34 reps on the bench press. So. 
um, that uh, those two guys were kind of where I was looking. And it, I guess I just wasn't shocked that they went with one of their guys over another. Yeah. And honestly, if you stack Lewis and Simpson up next to each other, uh, Simpson was a player I watched first. Uh, actually, before I went to the senior bowl, I did my tape study on Simpson. So a little bit underwhelmed, uh, especially again for a high level program. Clemson expected a little bit more out of Simpson. He, again, in isolation, isn't all that impressive. He's a very good football player. Let's let's not you know, say that that's not true. Um, but he didn't blow me away. And then Lewis and Cushenberry, I didn't actually watch before I got to the senior bowl, because again, they were late ads. They weren't uh, on the pre senior bowl list. Uh, they showed up as fill-ins and got to see them both live and thought, Whoa, Cushenberry, somebody I got to go back and watch. Like he is legitimate. Very surprised. He's still on the board by the way. Uh, but Lewis as well, I got to see him and Simpson sort of side by side. And Honestly, I think Lewis is the better between the two. Again, not by much. Simpson's measurables and, and strength testing may be a thing, but man, there are certain positions on the football field, interior offensive line, interior defensive line being one of them, the two of them that uh, measurables mean a little bit less. You got to have a want it factor. There's definitely an understanding of leverage. We see a lot of former wrestlers um, very good on the interior offensive line because they understand hand placement, strength, leverage. There's just a get it done sort of a results oriented thing that's not so focused on athletic testing. And when you get right down into the trenches, I think Damian Lewis is easily the equal and Maybe a little bit better than John Simpson. Yeah, Damian Lewis ranked number four overall for interior offensive lineman by Pro Football Focus behind uh, Natane Muti out of Fresno State, Jonah Jackson, Ohio State, Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan, and Tyler Biotish uh, is at number five for Wisconsin. Yeah, no, Muti is a guy that is amazing, but I think everybody's holding off, especially in this year. The question with him was medicals, and it's very hard to get good, clean medical information this year because of the coronavirus situation. Uh, people not be able to get independent testing. Folks weren't able to travel back to Indianapolis for the independent recheck after the combine. And, you know, Natani Mute has a, a large injury history. When he's on the field, boy, does he fit that road grader sort of profile that the Hawks are looking for without a doubt. But, um, you know, I just think the uncertainty leans you towards a guy like Damian Lewis, who is uh, right down the middle, kind of SEC, very experienced, solid guard. And they sort of went for chalk. And that's OK. And it fits with their philosophy that we've been hearing from them in their press conferences. Now they're looking for guys who can come in and, and they're not going to have so many questions about them. So here going SEC makes a lot of sense. But like you were saying, there, there were other SEC guys on the board. But let's take a quick break. Let's come back because I want to talk about some other spots on the offensive line that the Seahawks could have gotten instead, uh, maybe on, at the tackle position. So let's do that coming up next. Talking to EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron. Talking draft, talking offensive line for the Seahawks because they take Damian Lewis out of LSU with their third selection of the 2020 NFL draft. But when they took him, there were still some guys on the board. I, I have been kind of banging the table, just the idea of going tackle uh, for the Seahawks. And they had Josh Jones still on the board who ended up going to the Arizona Cardinals just a couple picks later. Lucas Nyang on the board out of TCU. 
Ben Barch out of St. John's, Matt Perda, Connecticut. So they, they still have there's and some of those guys are still on the board. But the fact that Josh Jones came off just a couple spots back. What's your take on that, EJ? Are they getting a better guy or are, are there more question marks with the fact that he's now fallen to the third round? We were talking about this on our live stream over at the bootleg football podcast that we're doing right now. And uh, Josh Jones, there's a reason he fell and it's likely the medicals. Um, It is as a player, as a talent, again, we saw him with the senior bowl had was much like Damian Lewis in the fact that he had some reps. He won, had some reps. He lost, but his potential is through the roof. He is incredibly physically sculpted as a player, as in shape, as a big guy, uh, a guy that size as I've ever seen. And his technique's pretty good. I think the things that he doesn't do well, you can coach out. So I think at this point, it's probably medical. And again, this year, medical is very difficult to reconcile. No independent rechecks. Uh, There had to be an issue with him physically, because if you just look at him from a profile positional value, skill, uh, performance at the Senior Bowl against other top talent. If you're looking at value of Jones versus Lewis, Jones is clearly a better value, but you've got to be comfortable with him physically from a medical standpoint. And I just think people must not have been. I guess with uh, looking back to last year and DK Metcalf falling in the lap of the Seahawks at the end of the second round, there, there's some picks where I'm okay at maybe being taking a little bit of a risk on and, and maybe they see some value at tackle later in the draft too. It just it, it would really surprise me if the Seahawks came out of this draft without uh, at least some somebody at the at the tackle spot. You know what wouldn't shock me is go get Lewis's teammate, yeah. Shadiq Charles. Like Shadiq Charles is a guy that I think could really help the Seahawks. He's still available. Uh, his counterpart, um, not that far away in Auburn, Prince Tega Winogo, is another tackle that I think could fill in very well. We were looking forward to seeing him at the Senior Bowl. He was a medical scratch, so we didn't get to see him. He was still healing up from an injury. Um, but either one of those guys, Lucas Niang is a guy you mentioned as well, but he's more like Natani Mute in the fact that he's got some injury concerns. Um, some of his tape, Uh, highlights are sort of oh my god like amazing and some of his tape is he's a little inconsistent there plus you add in the injuries that's why he's still on the board uh if he didn't have the injuries he would be well off the board as a tackle prospect with that kind of um potential but there's a couple of guys coming down you mentioned ben barch as well i'm not a huge barch fan but he did hold his own at the senior bowl absolutely i think he might even be a better guard than he is tackle but it does have somewhat elite traits and then matt pert out of connecticut is really where i think he's the last tackle before the sort of plateau ends or the shelf falls off and you get down to guys like alex taylor from south carolina state who are all about traits height weight speed um doesn't look that good in person uh definitely needs a bunch of work to get up to speed so there's still tackles to be had and they wanted the top of the guard pool instead of the top of the tackle pool doesn't mean they don't get a tackle out of this draft. I think they still have several good options. They just prioritize guard over tackle. And who knows? Maybe it's because Russell's a lot like Drew Brees and doesn't like interior pressure, right? That's the big <laughs> thing with New Orleans is they prioritize centers and guards not over their tackles because Drew Brees really doesn't like pressure in his face. And a lot of people compare Wilson to Brees. 
eh, maybe that's Russell's preference. He wants a good, strong, you know, foundation up the middle. So they went there first. Maybe they go to tackle in the next round or or a couple of rounds. Later. Well, and they got Trey Adams, the Washington prospect, too. If if you're looking at maybe late round or a UDFA type prospect, uh, another UDFA type prospect, too, that I talked to Brent Taylor, the editor of Roll Bamba Roll. He liked Matt Womack, the tackle there out of Alabama. Interesting. Um, I'm not such a Womack fan, but there's there are guys late. Trey Adams is an injury risk before the injuries. Uh, obviously, a local guy, UW, um, looked fantastic, was projected as one of the top tackles in the draft, had an injury, really doesn't look like he's come back from it fully. So he's sliding down the board. We'll see where his slide ends. Could be in the last couple of rounds. Could be he even goes UDFA. I'd be surprised by it, but not shocked. And there's some other guys floating around out there that, that have potential. Charlie Heck from North Carolina, who's a former Seahawk and Bears kid. Right. And Andy Heck is a massive guy, 6'8", 318. And I think he's got potential to be a good swing tackle. I don't know about a starter, but I, I think he's going to be a solid pro and have a decent career. And then... There's there's some interesting ones down the board, but, you know, uh, I really do think after you sort of hit that, uh, let's call it Matt Pert level, <laughs> you're going to drop off and you're really going to be reaching for guys that are developmental at that point. Right. And and at that point, it, it may not matter for this upcoming season very much. The two guys that are still on the board after the Seahawks picked, and I, I just worry that they're not going to be there in round four for their next pick that I would love to have on the Seahawks. Brian Edwards of South Carolina, mm. Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky, either one of those wide receivers. If they get one of those, I, I would be really happy uh, coming out of this draft. Yeah, there's still guys after that, though, that could come in and, to your point, contribute this year. Lynn Bowden, fantastic jackknife of all trades. Uh, you know, he's one of the few guys I think that has potential in the NFL to score a touchdown five different ways. He could throw for one, catch one, run one run back a punt, run back a kick, and he could do it all within his first year. It's not a stretch to think that. He's an incredibly versatile talent. Brian Edwards, on the other hand, much more of a straight-up outside wide receiver with a ton of physicality. Didn't test a lot because he was coming off an injury. That always sort of lowers your profile a little bit. But when you look at his highlights in South Carolina, very, very physical receiver, can definitely play outside. And, you know, there's other guys as well. Devin Duvernay from Texas, Antonio Gandy-Goldman from Liberty, Colin Johnson from Texas, Devin Duvernay's, uh, you know, comport down there, 6'5", right? Huge guy, runs pretty good routes. Um, and then a guy, if you want to play him inside, like James Prochet from SMU, very underrated player. You're going to get those guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. If you want a pure speed threat, Daryl Mooney from Tulane, like it's just endless with wide receiver in this draft. So wide receiver I'd wait on. If you're going to get a tackle, they're going to have to try and get one of those guys that they like out of that next, mm, let's say three or four sort of stack of tackles. Then you can go to the wide receiver pool in the later rounds and pick whatever flavor it is that you're looking for. Cause there's just so many of them. Well, maybe that is where they go next EJ before you get on out of here. I, I just have to ask you as a bears fan, how these first two days have gone for you. Uh, I was very happy on day one that Ryan Pace did not do something silly and trade a bunch of 2021 assets to get up into round one. <laughs> that was the big fear. We passed that gate. Um, I really hoped that uh, he would trade down with either 43 or 50. That was my preferred path. Um, and honestly, picking Cole Komet at 43 was kind of a worst case scenario. Cole Komet, I'm sure a fine player, uh, 
probably a good person. He just doesn't serve a huge value role. He plays the more inline tight end. The Bears really need to prioritize a Y or move tight end mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a U. Uh, the move tight end, the Trey Burton role that they thought they were getting with Trey Burton. That's the, the role in that offense, both in Kansas City and Philadelphia, where that offense is prevalent, that really makes hay, right, in terms of offensive production. So... Not thrilled about the commit pick. Can't really justify it. Trading back would have been better. Picking up another position would have been better. And then you flip to the 50 pick. Jalen Johnson out of Utah, Pac-12 guy with length, press ability. Um, Really didn't think he was going to make it out of the first round. I think that's a great pick. He's going to thrive in Chuck Pagano's defense. So honestly, if you'd switched those two picks, I would have felt a little bit better about it. (laughs) Jalen Johnson at 43. Uh, Cole Komet, look, I hope he is a very productive player for the Bears, and I hope he contributes, but that pick is a lot tougher to justify as a Bears fan. And now it's just a very long wait where uh, there's no pick for the Bears between 50 and 164. So we'll go about 114 picks here or about 45% of the draft in terms of overall player count before they make another pick. And then they're going to have to, they're going to have to make hay in the bottom round. So, um, you know, it's fine. It's a fantastic event. I love it every year. Obviously as a Bears fan, it's one thing or another, but as a draft analyst, I get to sort of celebrate every pick and I love that. Yeah. It's going to be a long wait for Bears fans to, to wait all the way to the fifth round now. So, uh, I guess 49ers fans kind of in the same boat there too. Very, very similar. Yeah. Well, EJ want to thank you once again for coming back on and helping break down one of the Seahawks picks. We'll be looking forward to you and uh, what you got going on too with uh, with the live stream. How's that been going? Two days now. Uh, we initially were going to do uh, just an intro and an extra for the first round, but we were having such a good time and we had so many fans on that Brett Coleman, my my partner at the Bootleg Football Podcast, said, well, what do, why don't we stay on for the first round? <laughs> I said, okay, I haven't had dinner and I really need to go to the bathroom. But yeah, <laughs> uh, we ended up doing over six hours on the first day. We wow. averaged about 700 plus viewers for the entire time, picked up several hundred new subscribers it was a great success obviously we came back we're doing it today as well i'm hopping off and hopping back on to do other analysis like this uh but again great questions folks from all over the world so if you're interested check out the bootleg football podcast you can search for that on youtube the live streams up right now or on any of your favorite podcast providers definitely go check it out and if you haven't subscribed to this show yet sbnation.com slash nfl podcast you can subscribe to the field goals you can subscribe to what they have over at Windy City Gridiron, and we will be right back here with more Seahawks picks coming up. Pick 27 in the fourth round, along with pick 38 in the fourth, and then pick number two in round five, pick 35 in round six. So we will be covering that here on the podcast coming up, barring any trades that shift those picks around a little bit. Stay tuned right here. More to come. And until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks.